Welcome to Momentum Church. We have truly been on an adventure the past few weeks. And we're going to get into our fourth week of the Adventure-ish series. If you're a guest with us, man, don't worry about it. You, you, the, you, today will be perfect for you as a guest as well. It's not like you got to build up to today, all right? But if you missed those, would love for you to go back and listen online and catch the rest of this series. And so we're going to have our lights brought up. So I like preaching to people. So our lights will come up a little bit so I can see some faces. Amen. All right. Amen. I want you to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes. And so it's over Psalm, Proverbs, you'll get there. Just get into Psalms and keep going to the right, all right? So <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and I just want to say as we get started today, again, there is nothing like answering the call to a life of raw faith and adventure in God. Just nothing like it. How many God has had you on an adventure before? Whatever that might look like, from, from the woman you married, to the ministry you started, to the business you started, to switching jobs, to starting school, all those things are an adventure. And as you go on those adventures, at times you want to be resourced for the adventure. I want to speak about that today because you've been uniquely created for the adventure that God has for you. But with it, adventures are more successful if you have resources. And you may feel like in your heart, I don't have those certain resources to achieve the adventure that's in my heart. And I'll go back to Amy and I. Back in the day, 10 years ago, we'd always camped as a family and day hiked, but we never backpacked. And about a decade ago, we got into backpacking. And man, when it first started, we didn't have the resources either. You know, we were raising kids. And, and if you remember about a decade ago, the economy was tight. That's kind of why we got into backpacking, because really all you need is a hill and your feet. It's cheap entertainment, right? And so we would get gear. You know, we started with gear at the garage sales and Goodwill and, 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 and hand-me-down stuff. And it didn't take a lot of resources to get ourselves on the adventure. But I do understand at times in your mind, you're like, man, I got this adventure I'm going on, this thing I feel God leading and stirring me, but I don't have the money to chase that adventure. I would start this business if I had this kind of resources, this venture capital, I could do that. I would go and accomplish this for God if I had these skills. So maybe for you, the adventure is skills to chase your adventure. Or maybe you say, Ross, you know what? So many people achieve so much in life because they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. They were born into opportunity. Has anybody ever felt that way before? Don't raise your hand. But you got friends and family like, oh my gosh, everything they do, but I, not me, you know, not born in that place of opportunity. And, and that may all be true. I will be honest with you. An opportunity that you've been born into, money, all that kind of stuff, skills, right? If I was waiting to have skills, I wouldn't have started preaching back in March of 92. It was rough 30, almost 30 years ago. You're all sitting there going, it sometimes still is. <laughs> Shut up. No. <laughs> but skills, you know, you may be right about all that, you know, but here's the thing. That's not your most important resource. Money, opportunity, all those kinds of things, ability and skill is not your most important resource. The most important resource in your life, look to the left of you, look to the right of you. The most important resource in your life is people. Every shout people. 
Yeah, other people are a great resource when it comes to walking out and experiencing the summit, when it comes to walking out and experiencing the adventure that God has you on. In Ecclesiastes, let's stand, because I love standing when we read the Word of God just to, to honor God's Word. How many knows God's Word's true? Amen. Every bit of it's true. Amen. And so we all love to stand and honor God's word. It's just a group of us standing together saying we will stand firm in the truth. When the rest of the world's denying truth, when the rest of the world's denying an absolute way, when the rest of the world is denying absolute theology that comes from absolute truth, we will stand firm in the every shout truth. truth. Yeah, that's who we're going to be. I mean, that's the adventure we're on. Amen. And so here's what it says in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 through 10. I'm going to read out the New Living Translation. I don't normally do that. But it says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Amen? It's good for us to be in pairs. It's good for us to be in teams. It's good for us to realize the resource that God has given us, the greatest resource being that of people. Go ahead and have your seat. All right? This scripture, as it goes down a little bit further, it's going to start to give the picture of this. And it is. It's so important because I was with a friend where two of us got ahead of the other one a little too far and didn't look back. And that friend ended up getting turtled in a water thing, like, like a, in a river, and couldn't get up because the water's pushing on his pack and giving way, and he's turtled, you know? You know what I mean by turtled? It's just, you know? We realized it. Oh, he's not here with us, you know? I bet he's praying for us somewhere. I'm not saying who it is, Mitch. I, 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 could, I knew that. Stop it. I could hear it. I knew it was. <laughs> I was going to keep you. But now that you said it. So poor Mitch, you know. So <laughs> I owe you a dollar. I give my kids a buck whenever I tell a story about them. And so he's, you know, Mitch, please. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> but we went back and we saved Mitch, you know, but it wasn't good for him to be alone. You know, it's not for any of us. We need the resources of other people. And, and um, man, so here's what it says in Ecclesiastes 4.13. It goes a little bit further, just a few verses down. And this is in the context of this scripture saying that two people are better off than one. Watch what it says about resource. You ready for this? It is better to be a poor but wise youth than an old foolish king who refuses all advice. See, that poor but wise youth has enough understanding he can't go it alone. He's got to lean into some advice. He's got to lean into the resource of other people. But what's happened, it says in verse 14, such a youth could rise from poverty and succeed. I love it. He might even become king, though right now he's been in prison. Like this kid has nothing, no chance, no hope of an adventure to take over the kingdom. But what God is saying, if this kid will listen to the advice of others, if this kid on the adventure of his life will be wise, will be, have enough sense to listen and to learn, then this kid can even achieve the kingdom. Amen? Now, I got to thinking in the first service on the fly about the king. And I think it's a picture of us as believers. Us who have been believers a long time. I've been saved 27 years. I've been saved 35 years. I've been saved 40 years. You, yeah, and you look like you've been baptized in pickle juice. You know what I mean? Like, like I've been saved. Here's what hit me. The idea of being a king. 
you know. I've been in the authority all these years. I've been a believer all these years. Yes, but you're not doing anything with the authority because you won't take advice. What happens as believers, we get older in our faith and we stop believing. We get older in our faith and we stop dreaming. We get older in our faith and we stop moving in faith. We get older in our faith, and we get confident, and we get, I'm the king. Look at my scepter. Look at my this. Look at this. Look at the king. But you're not doing kingly things anymore. Why? Because you're not allowing the resource of other people to challenge you. You're not allowing the resource of other people to bring advice. And I've seen pastors, like my age, I'm almost 50, about a year, a year now, two months from being 50, and I've seen pastors in their 50s and early 60s get dead, but they're sitting on the throne of their ministry. Look, I'm the king. I have it all figured out. No, you don't. Listen to some of those young people in your ministry. Amen? Some of those millennials and some of those, I forgot the next generation. Zs? Ys? Those ones. X. Elemental P. Listen. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's wisdom that will come from beneath even. And then you're not just this king on the, on the throne with a dead kingdom. You know what I mean? But you're still looking for what's going to happen next. You're still saying, man, there's lands to conquer. There's things to accomplish. There's things to build spiritually. Amen? But, man, some of us in our faith, I'm a king. I've been a believer a long time. And I won't listen to anybody's advice. I won't listen to anybody's challenge. I won't listen to anybody's stirring, you know? That's not, no, no, no. This is telling us it's better to be poor but be wise. Wise wisdom is the application of knowledge. The king would say, I have all this knowledge, all these resources of understanding, but he's not applying it any longer. God wants us to just be poor in spirit. I think there's a scripture in Matthew that says, if you're poor in spirit, you'll inherit the earth. Amen? That's what it's saying. A heart that's going, God, what's next? God, what do you have for me? What are you calling me to next? What do you want to accomplish in my life? What do you want to accomplish in my marriage? What do you want to accomplish in my business? What do you want to accomplish in my health? Lord, like a poor person, I just want to learn. And then he'll give you the kingdom. Amen? Give God some praise. Amen. I got to get a drink of water. So the greatest resource in life is other people. I mean, think about it. How many like Apple computers? Yeah? Yeah, Steve Jobs had a Wozniak, Steve Wozniak, the Woz. Everybody needs a Woz in your life, just so you can go Woz up, you know, like that. Be awesome. That was horrible, okay. <laughs> the Beatles, wouldn't have been the Beatles without Paul, John, Ringo, and George, amen? Yeah, yeah, Martin Luther King Jr., he had Ralph Abernathy, didn't he? He had people around him like that, that were there for him. And John Lewis from Atlanta, he had people that were, he wouldn't have been who he was without people around him. Moses of Scripture had Joshua and Aaron and her. And you know Jesus? You'll never see an account where Jesus went and healed somebody by himself. You won't. So if the Son of God recognizes there's power in few, there's power in teams, there's power in not going it alone, if God himself in the earth, Jesus would take Peter, James, and John with him to go to Jairus' daughter to say, Talitha Kumai, rise up and walk, man, maybe we would see some more rise up and walk moments in our life if we weren't trying to do it all by ourselves. Amen? There's a world that needs to see life. They need to see something powerful. And they're going to see it through you living that adventure. But not living it on your own. Amen? 
Every adventure will be more successful if you have a team. I don't know about you guys. I like reading leadership books. Always have. And one of the books is John Maxwell's book, <coughs> The 17 Indisputable Laws of Teamwork. 17 Indisputable Laws of Teamwork. And in this book, number four, the law number four, is the law of Mount Everest. Mount Everest. And the law goes like this. As the challenge escalates, the need for teamwork elevates. As the challenge escalates, the need for teamwork elevates. In the first service, Brandon Leonard was sitting right here, and I spoke to him because he has a real estate business, but he also brings others into this partnership with him. And his business went so far at one point, but now he's got teams and, and other people have dreams and adventures linking, and, and it's become a juggernaut that is just making a huge impact in the real estate game, if you will, here in this region. Amen? Why? Because he realized as the challenge escalates, the need for team elevates. Mount Everest. How many have ever heard of Mount Everest? Now, I told you a couple weeks ago that I'm going to do the rim-to-rim-to-rim hike at the Grand Canyon next October, all right? Can I just tell you I'm going to speak this because when I say a thing, I'll do it, all right? I am not going to do Mount Everest. <laughs> there, I said it. It is, it is put forth in the name of Jesus. I'm not doing it. So there's a point when you get past trees, right? I don't want to go much past that point. Maybe 14,000. That might be. But, you know, the Mount Everest is 29,035 feet. What in the world? But we're going on an expedition to die. No, it's not for me. But I do want to tell you a little bit of stories about it, right? 5.5 miles. That's high. That's crazy. I've been to about 12,000 feet before. I couldn't breathe very well then. Can't imagine Doubling plus that blows my, my mind. And so Mount Everest, it's a peak of the Himalayan region that separates that, that mountain region of the Himalayas, separates Nepal from China. And in straddling that border, since 1920, people have been trying to reach its peak. The first expedition was in 1920, and those expeditions have continued since then. Really, it was a technological thing because they had to have the technology to even get to that height. And that was about 1920 when the first mission happened. Well, in 1935, so 15 years after the first expedition, and that expedition failed, 1935, a 21-year-old Sherpa, or a porter, by the name of Tenzing Norgay, he had reached what's called the North Call, and that is about 22,000 feet. And a call, we would, here in the south, I call them a saddle. So you have two mountains and you have a flat saddle between those ridges. So a call is a flat area between two, two peaks or two rises, okay? And so the north call, 22,000 feet, you still have 7,000 plus to go. And so at that spot, he got there. He got to the call with his team. Just below the call, they came across a wind-shredded tent with a skeleton in it with a little bit of frozen skin over the bones of the skeleton. The skeleton is sitting there with one boot off and one boot trying to put on with the laces still between the little skinny leather-like fingers of that skeleton. Right? Who was that? Who was that skeleton? He was Maurice Wilson. Maurice Wilson. 
He was an Englishman who snuck into Tibet and tried to climb the mountain secretly without permission. He he had hired only three porters or Sherpas to go with him for the climb. As they approached the North Col, those men had enough sense they could tell their bodies weakening, we can't go on, and they refused to press any further. This is the limit of our ability, our bodies. This expedition is over, and they go back But he refused to go with them, and he tried to make the climb on his own, and that decision killed him. So 15 years later, Tenzing is finding this man. And then what happened from 1920 to 1952, there were seven expeditions that took place, and they failed. Tenzing Norgay, this young man, he's from Tibet, he was on six of those expeditions. So lots of understanding, lots of wisdom. And here's what Tinsey would say. He would write this later on in his memoirs. He said, never underestimate the difficulty of a climb. Never. He wrote of the careless climbers. He said, like so many men before them, they had held a great mountain too lightly, and they paid the price. Well, the story is that in May 1953, May 29th, 1953, 33 years later, after the first attempt was a failure, Tenzing Norgay and Edmund Hillary, you know him as Sir Edmund Hillary, they were the first to summit Mount Everest. All right? Now, I want to give you a little backstory on this. Do you know how many people it took for those two men to get to the mountaintop? They started with about 250 Sherpas, porters, people carrying equipment. They had about 250 people that had to carry tons of equipment to get to base camp. Okay, just to get up to that far first, you're still thousands of feet more to climb. But it took 250 plus people to get that far, just to get in the vicinity of the mountain. Then out of that, the the next 40, like out of the 250, they're worn out. So 40 of the porters, they needed to get the the supplies up to the, above the base camp, up to the next camping area. Okay, I mean, this takes weeks and weeks and weeks to get to the top. All right. Months, really, at that, at that time. And so what they have now is 40-some people taking the next venture, all right, along with the expedition team, like Sir Edmund Hillary and other, other ones that had paid for the expedition. Um, they get to that spot, and the best third of that team of porters, they go on with the expedition team, all right? This is wild. Finally, it comes down to only three porters who have the strength and skill to get to the high camps nearest the summit. So you have three, three people is all. And what they did is that one person would begin, that one porter or Sherpa would begin with one of the expedition people, and they would make their way as far as possible. They would begin to set batons and ropes. They'd begin to take their carabiners and clip in and get things ready. And they would go as far as they possibly could, clipped into the ropes, setting the batons. But then they would get to a point where all that work and all that effort, they couldn't do it anymore. And they had to turn back. So they would turn back. Why? Now they're back at camp. They can't go on. So the next porter would take the next person. And guess what? They would get to that end of that rope, and they would start setting more rope and more batons and more line. And they would clip in, and they would take the next strides and the next steps to get, maybe we'll reach the summit. But guess what? They did it, and they had to come back down. And then the third group, after these other two groups had exhausted themselves but had made gains for the next team, the third group, they clipped in. Say clipped in. They clipped in to what these others were doing. Isn't that neat? And they began to make their way to the top, 
Tenzing would say this, for that is the mountain way. That's the mountain. That, that's how you accomplish great tasks on this mountain. You start with many and you work together. That's the mountain way. The final team was that of Tenzing, Norway, Norgay, and Edmund Hillary, and they were able to scale that. Amen? Because they clipped into the work that others had done, and they continued to move forward together as a team. And you know what's neat? It wasn't just two people that got to the top of that mountain. It was the 250 porters that started, plus that expedition team. They all got to the top of that mountain. We just know of the two names that actually put their foot on it. But the mission was an accomplishment. The expedition was an accomplishment. The law of Mount Everest states again, as the challenge escalates, the need for teamwork elevates. What happened with Maurice Wilson? That Englishman who snuck into Tibet, he got four-fifths of the way. And then he paid the price for going it alone. Man, I don't want you in your lives to go it alone and end up having to pay the price. Can I tell you why too often we fail to go with the team? I think there's two reasons. There's two things that we tolerate in our lives, and it keeps us from going together. It keeps us going with a team. The first thing we tolerate is a propensity to try and go it alone. And that can look so many different ways. We just live in a culture. We're Americans. Amen? America. I love it. I love being American. I love that John Wayne mentality of, we got this. We can handle this. I can even remember a few years ago when I told my father, God bless my dad. Oh, thanks for praying for my mother and father. I, I don't know how they're alive. I, I called my mother when she was two days in the hospital with COVID. This is in Ohio. Mama, how are you? She's horrible. She can't even talk. She calls me that night, Ross Allen. She's from Pikeville, Kentucky. Ross Allen, sing mama her song. Sing mama her song. Mama, that's a funeral song. I don't want to sing that. I don't want to sing that song to you, mommy. <laughs> it's, it's if I could hear my mama pray again, if I could hear her voice, tender voice raised, so glad I would be. It would mean so much to me if I could hear my mama pray again. And I sang it to her and she's crying. I'm like, my mom is dying tonight. That's really what I thought. I thought told Amy, I said, man, I don't think she's gonna make it through the night. You know? That woman's like an ever ready bonnie. She woke up the next morning. I called, honey, I'm fine. I'm doing good. I'm really doing well. Are you kidding me? Been on dialysis six years. Like, she is fierce, you know. And about, thank you for your prayers. Dad and mom both have come through the COVID. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Dad was up to just being his normal self. I called. Hey, I wanted to call him. I call him. It's dead silent. Well, are you going to freaking talk or say something or just breathe on the phone? That's what he said to me. I was like, Daddy's alive. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't know if you have a dad. That, that's my dad. It's like, well, just die, Dad. No, I didn't say that back. That would have been horrible. <laughs> no, it's, it's me. Well, why didn't you say something? Well, you're supposed to go, hi, even if you're sick. Hi. Something, you know. And uh, whatever. I, I, oh, I don't know how I got off on that. So. I called my dad to tell him how I'm going to do this sabbatical, you know, and his mindset, because of that, that older school generation, you'll lose your whole church if you do that. Because in his mind, he's picturing, I'm pulling back alone, separating myself, and everything's going to die around. We thrived during that time. This was a couple years ago. We thrived. Church grew. You guys were fine. Why? Because we have a team. I, I said to dad, I said, hey, because he said, I know a man in our town, he did that, and half his church left his church. 
I said, well, did he have an assistant pastor? And did he have this and this and this and that and that and all these great volunteers? And Well, no. I go, okay, well, that's the difference. I have a team. I'm not worried one bit, you know. But we're trained in our mindset to go it alone. We have a propensity. We got this. We can handle this, you know. And so, number one, we, we tolerate a propensity to go it alone. And you can see from Maurice's story the detriment that it takes place when we try to go it alone. I want to ask you, what is your natural first reaction when challenge comes to you? Like, what's your natural first reaction when life gets more difficult? Do you go off alone? Do you try to solve the problem alone? What is that? What's that natural tendency? You know, as a pastor, I'm going to just tell you guys, it breaks my heart. Here's the hardest thing as a pastor I think I experience is finding out months and months later that somebody's been going through pain and we didn't know it. They haven't been at church in months. Somehow we missed, missed that they weren't here. I always feel like a bad pastor when that happens. But can I tell you something? Let's share in the blame. Can we? I, don't, I mean, I'm, just, I'm going to throw you out just an idea here, okay? So often, not always, but so often, people have not been a part of the body. I always tell people when you become a member of a church, it's not like membership on a roll, like a country club, all right? It is more like membership, member of the body, like a hand. And this finger, I'm telling you right now, if this finger goes missing this afternoon, my whole body's going to be knowing it, right? I mean, I'm going to that finger, like I know it. And so if you are here, I'm saying this in prevention, all right? If you are here and you're like, you know what? I want that. I want to know people know. I want to know when I hurt, there's connection. I want, then get connected. Amen? There's got to be a partnership there. It, it can't be, I've never been here connected deep enough at any level that the body even knows when I'm gone. And here's what happens when that happens. So often people are like, oh, nobody this, nobody that, nobody. Somebody fell out. <laughs> you know, and, and the truth matters, we just didn't know. We just didn't know. Now, guess what? Pastors messed up too before. We've had people neck deep. And the next thing you know, two months has gone by. And, well, wait a second, where are COVID was hard, I'll be honest. We worked so hard as a staff trying to figure out who's online with us, who's actually in the building, who's just sick right now, or who's just, you know, like, I'm not going anywhere because it's COVID, which we honor that, too. If you're watching from home, you know we've honored that, you know. And we've been trying to figure out always who's with us, if, like, who's our church family we're, we're taking care of. But it's been hard. And I'll just be honest. There's times pastors messed that up, and I apologize for that, okay? But I'm just saying, when it comes down to it, if you have never, ever attempted or tried to connect in any small group, any ministry group, any team, no women's night, no men's night, no, no potluck dinner, no event, nothing, and you're complaining that you're not having connections, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> Amen. Clip in. That's all I'm saying. Just clip, clip in. Amen. It's easy. Clip it. We got police in here. I'll tell you, clip it or they'll tick it, right? No, no, just <laughs> clip in. That's all it takes. Shh, clipped in, all right? Now, with us as pastors of you watching out, trying to take care of our sheep, if you will, man, pray for us, you know? Keep your eyes open. If there's somebody that you don't see, man, they used to sit beside you, you don't even know their name. That, you should know their name by now, right? But for some reason, you don't know. I haven't seen that per pastor. I haven't seen, she's about this tall. Where's this? You know, 
likes to drink her coffee this way, whatever, you know. Help us. Does that make sense? All right, again, that wasn't in my, first, my notes, but in the first service, I really felt that was important to say. It's a partnership. We need to work to do better, but if you're here, connect now. Because what happens so often in life, when you go through the hard challenges of the adventure of life, you face difficulties, you pull away. It's just our propensity. And next thing you know, you're struggling alone like Maurice Wilson. You're struggling alone without the support of others clipped into you. Does that make sense? And I want to do that in prevention. I want to speak that now. Get clipped in because those hard times will come. And you cannot win a great adventure alone. You can't summit a great summit alone. The second thing we tolerate often in our lives is input given by people who do not have the same desires. So we're trying to go toward the adventure and we're getting input by people who do not have the same desires. You're trying to work on your marriage and your best friend is a man hater and you're complaining to your best friend about your husband and your best friend is like, I tell you he's evil, da da da, you should this, you should that, you know. They're not going in the same direction. Find some wise counsel that will work with you guys and counsel you guys and get you going in the right direction. Tenzing Norgay on the successful expedition of the 1953 expedition, he actually sent some of those porters home. That first group of 250 or so, there were some that wanted to go a different route, and he basically let them know, you can pack and go home. That's what happened to a good chunk of them. Why? Because, no, this is the direction we're going. We don't need to fight each other on this. And so input given by people who do not have the same desires, guard yourself of that, all right? When you allow someone else to determine your pace on the trail, you will fail every time time i can remember years ago hiking with a buddy and we were trying i think it was like 13 or 14 miles and it was pretty tough and i was new at hiking too you know back like, like that far and he was going really slow and i didn't want to leave him alone so i began to hike at his pace all right and in hiking at his pace for a day if you don't know if you slow your pace down your quads start to act like brakes okay you're you're breaking and it will actually wear you out so they're not going at the pace you're going. They're not, they're not going in the same flow you're going, and they start to wear you out. And what happens is you put the brakes on, and, and, you, and next thing you know, man, you're, you're, you're burned out. It was wild with my buddy. He, he went ahead the next day and got a ride home, and I continued on with these other guys. And the next day, they're pushing, all right? Well, guess what Ross tried to do? I tried to keep with that pace. I tried. I'm going to push too. Man, I about killed myself that day going faster than I needed to. Does that make sense? you got to find that pace for yourself. Pushing yourself to keep up with others will wear you out as well. So when you're looking at those you're working in life with, this team, it's not about competition. It's not about, well, I'm going to try to prove my... No. I will say this, though. When you hike with somebody else, you usually will conquer more miles than when you're alone. I'll get into that before I finish, all right? So... <clears throat> So that last day, I was able to, of that three-day hike, I was able to hike at my pace and accomplished more miles at that point than I'd ever done in a 48-hour period. So not that, that that should be commended. I'm just saying if I would have continued to try to, to stay at either of those paces, I wouldn't have made the third day. I would have been at the road waiting for Amy to come pick me up. You know, I had to on that last day finally just set my own pace. So you need a team. You need a resource of people around you, and I'm going to call these, who should be on your team? I'm going to call this your team, I'm going to call it your adventure mob. Everybody say adventure mob. 
Yeah, everybody needs an adventure mob. A mob is just a group of common people with a common purpose. And so what's our common purpose as the adventure mob? Our purpose is this. It's common people in pursuit of uncommon lives. That's the kind of people you want to surround yourself with. Not prideful people, just common people, just normal everyday folk. But you know what? We're not satisfied with where we've been. We want to go forward into uncommon lies. You may be satisfied in the marriage you have. You know what? But I want my marriage to be even better. I'm going for an uncommon marriage. Amen? In our first service, we had a guest that had been here for a few weeks. And, man, they've been married almost 50 years. That's what I want. And so I've got to surround myself with people like that to learn how to move forward in those uncommon desires. So these are people in your life that have a, 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 a pursuit of common interest, and you need to surround yourself with those kinds of people. These are not just fans of yours, okay? They're not just praise your name people, but they are people who will challenge you, stir you, push you up the trail. There are those kinds of people that will come into your life to help you think right, to believe right, to act right, to live right. Amen? And I believe God is taking every one of us somewhere, but you won't get there on your own. So can I define for you before we go today just the people in your adventure mob? Now, for some of you, these may be identified by one or two people. They do all four of these things, okay? For some of you, literally, you'll think, no, I got this guy. I got this person. I've got these four in my life. But these are the kinds of people that I believe you should have in your adventure mob. The first kind of person you need in your adventure mob is a consoler. A consoler. This is someone to lean on. So when I was hiking with my buddy that first day, I wasn't leaving him behind. I was consoling him. We got this. There's no, I kept telling him, there's nobody in your office that has ever hiked this many miles in a day. We've got this, you know, and I'm consoling him and I'm helping us get down the path. You need some people in your life that it's not always about them, you know. No, I'm leaving you because I'm going to go do my thing. Well, no, I, I wanted to console him and stretch him, console him and be there for him. Does that make sense? <coughs> so in other words, it's people in your life that will slow down enough to check on you. They literally will slow down enough to check on you. You need to have somebody in your life like that. Amen? In the scripture, it says it this way. It says in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Another translation says, a friend loves at all times. A brother is born to share troubles. Do you have a consoler in your life? Do you have somebody that you can lean on? Don't just go it alone. You've got to have a consoler in your life. Now, here's the thing about consoling. It is not appeasement. It's not somebody in your life saying, yeah, you're right. No big deal. No, no, you're not appeasing. It's somebody like, hey, I'm comforting you in this, but let's keep moving forward. Let's keep going up the trail. You're right. Your feet are hurting. We should quit. You're right. Your back is hurting. We should just quit. Just quit and die. Remember Job's consolers or Job's friends? Some were really consoling. Some were just kind of not so much, you know. <clears throat> no, come on, let's go. And I've been on the trail with friends that I've had to, to console. And I've been on the trail with friends they've had to console me, you know. So you need people to console you at times. Yeah, you do. Not appease you, but console you. Number two, you need challengers in your life. Challengers. This is someone to push you. So in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You need people to challenge you. 
to come into your life and not to say, you know what, this is fine what you're doing. No, 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 this is wrong. You're not doing this right. This is going to hurt you. This is, you're never going to get to the summit if you do it this way. You need some friends in your life like that, that you can be challenged by and to have a spirit that you can be submitted to their challenge. Does that make sense? To have a, a learning kind of spirit as somebody challenges you. As iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens a friend. We need that in our lives. Number three, you need a coach. You need a coach. This is someone to teach into you. Someone that can teach into you. A few years ago, a buddy of mine was trying to coach me in some health things. For four years, I said, not interested. Nope, 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 nope. And at 300 pounds, I'm like, I'm dying. I need help. And so I called my buddy, Gabe. I need you to coach me. Help me. And he began to help me on a journey that I'm still on. But, oh, the difference already, you know? You need a coach. In Proverbs 19.20, it says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Or so you'll be wise the rest of your life, another translation says. We, we, need, we don't have it all figured out. So you find a coach. You know, and that might be that might be you're you're going toward business. Find a business coach. Find somebody that's done it before. As a ministry, as a pastor, I planted this church. So for five years, we helped 32 churches get started around Georgia. And I was the coach. I was the church plant director, but really I was a coach. I was seeing their giftings, their talents, challenging them, pulling things out, teaching and instructing. And it was a powerful season. Amen. But you need a coach in life. And then listen to the advice that they give. Accept the instruction that they give. You need, you need that. And then the fourth thing is a co-creator. A co-creator. This is someone to accomplish great things together. You know, Amy's been the best co-creator ever. You know, just so much fun creating life, ministry, all these years, business. It's all this stuff. Children, raising children together. I love it. A co-creator. In Ecclesiastes it said, two people are better than one for they can help each other succeed. Do you hear that? They can help each other succeed. I want to give you an Old Testament passage and then a New Testament passage and then we'll be done. The Old Testament passage is a picture of how this has worked out with co-creation. You have people working together. And it's Joshua. He's in battle in the valley. Watch this. So Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. So there was an anointing that was taking place as the man of God would raise his hands. And so with that, Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and they put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Do you see that partnership of co-creation? You have the captain of the armies in the field doing the fighting. You have that general overseeing spiritual things, but the physical battle as well. And you have some administrators, if you will. They're upholding them. They're holding up their hands. There's co-creators making a difference in that moment. I, I think of that as momentum, like Charlotte and Jerry came with us as co-creators early on and helped us plant this church, you know? And then God brought us Brantley and Hannah, and, and God brought us, you know, years later, Corey and Kristen, and, and Christy and Brian, and, and, and so many. And now a whole church full of people that have the vision. Amen? 
And the New Testament gives the picture this way. God gave apostles and prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry so that we together could help people come into the full image of Jesus. So people together can grow in the things of faith. They can become disciples of Christ. And guess what? It's not the pastor's job alone. It's all of ours together. Amen? We partner together to make the difference. That's what's so neat when you have baptisms. You know, I'll just give Marie's little story. Marie's on Facebook, Cherokee Connect, looking for a church to go to. And Jason sees it, and he's like, hmm, I can get her to come to church and a date. (laughs) Listen, that's just wise. That's all I'm saying. Just smart. This woman's seeking Jesus in a church. That, she got my heart already, you know. <laughs> Love you, Jason. But yeah, so he gives her a call, meets her at church here. <laughs> proud of you, Jason. I am. I'm proud of you. Meets her at church here, you know. And their friendship builds from there, you know. And today she gets baptized. It wasn't a single person. It, it, it wasn't her just showing up alone. No. She reached out and he reached out. And then she came and y'all loved on, on her, you know. Love that. And today she's in the baptismal tank. Remy, same story, just different, different people and different components. You know, little Skylar, the same way how God brought all this together is a miracle. I love it, you know. But it wasn't just one. It was God using people together to create something powerful. Amen? And that's what's happening here, you know. That, that, that's, to me... What happens in ministry? There was a person a few weeks ago that had said this, that they used to be the one that would shut the bar down, and now they're the one that lingers at church, basically shutting the church down, right? (laughs) Why? Because they're connecting with friends that are pushing that person to new heights in their walk with the Lord, new levels of sobriety in the adventure of leaving past pains and trauma behind in pursuit of the God-sized dream within them to become all that God wants them to be. Amen? That's happening right here in this building. Why? Because you all have partnered together. Amen? So I I, I got to thinking about this. In my own life, I don't want to be that king that gets satisfied. I want to be that one that's still looking for my challenger, still looking for my my, my consoler, still looking for my my coach, still looking for for our co-creators. Because God has great things, not just for our lives personally, but for the church. We planned this like 15, 16 years ago. But man, we're just getting started. Amen? I can see so much adventure that God's about to take us on as a church. And it looks different than what we've ever experienced. Can I just say it this way? If Momentum Church in five years had 800 people, we doubled in Sunday morning attendance in five years from now, I wouldn't feel like we're getting it done. If Momentum Church quadrupled in the next five years and we had 1,600 people gathering on a Sunday morning, I wouldn't feel like we're getting it done. Oh, pastor's talking about numbers. He wants five, six, seven. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying if what we do and we call it ministry, what we do and we call it church, if this is what we're doing five years from now, we've missed the adventure that God has called us on. And you may be, Pastor, what are you talking about? I don't even know. (laughs) I just sense a stirring in my spirit. Amen? God wants more out of his church. He wants more out of us. He he wants to create disciples out of us. Amen? And I believe that's going to happen as we clip in. As we work together and 
in this house and with friends outside this house as we find those people that we, we are connected with. Going on this journey, it's going to happen. And, and that's why, to me, events at the church, they're not, tonight's potluck isn't about food. Although the, some of it you'll put on your, your head and your tongue will beat your brains out trying to get to it. It's good. But it's not about food. You know what tonight's about? Potluck? Clipping in. Because you don't know who you're going to connect with that might just be the challenger in your life. You don't know who you'll connect with that might just be the greatest consoler you've ever experienced. You don't know who you'll connect with that might be a co-creator. And next thing you know, you have a ministry or a business that you've started and you met at a potluck. Amen? Clipping in. Come to a men's event, men's night. That's not just coming to a men's event. You're clipping in. You don't know what God's going to do. Come to that ladies 360 event. You don't know over that day how hearts will get entwined. and how, You don't know what it's going to look like as you clip in. Amen? That's what that's about. Journey groups. Being a part of a ministry team. It's just a way that you're, you're clipping in and you're heading toward the summit. You know what's amazing? A lot of times when you clip into the things of God and you start to head toward the summit of what God has for you, next thing you know, you start to see your marriage get better. Huh, how's that work? You start to see your finances increase. You start to see other things take place and fall into order. It might have something to do with where Scripture says, Seek first the kingdom and all his righteousness, like his mountain, and all these things will be added to you. Amen? You see how important clipping is? Clipping in is? And, and if, if you're here today, I'm, I'm done, I'm done. I just feel like I'm done preaching. If you're here today and you're like, you know what? I don't want to clip in. I don't want to connect. I don't, I get it. It can be scary. It can be. Suck it up, buttercup. Because you're going where you've never gone before. Suck it up, buttercup. You can accomplish this trail. Suck it up, buttercup. You can do all things that God tells you that you can do. Suck it up, buttercup. You're on the trail to adventure what God has for you, to the summit. You're not settling for lesser vistas. You're going to the view God's called you to see. Suck it up. We can, we can do this. We'll do this together. Amen? Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, ooh, Lord, help us as we go forward into the adventure you have for us. I thank you that you modeled to us that you didn't do it alone. And Lord God, we refuse from this day forward to go forward in the adventure you've called us to alone. Lord God, we will find our adventure mob in Jesus' name. Amen. Give God some praise. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.